listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. Once again, we're thrilled to have you all here today on another Thursday evening. So welcome one, welcome all. If this is your first time to Changing Reality and you have no idea who I am, what have you been doing all your life? But anyway, my name is Harsha and I am your host here um, on WQHS Radio's Changing Reality. So Changing Reality is a show where we talk to phenomenal people from all walks of life who are, in essence, changing their own reality. So we hang out and interview social change makers, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, actors, musicians, industry experts, business owners, and so many more to hear the inspiring individuals of how they're not only changing their own life, but change lives around them through the work and their own personal experiences too. So hopefully by hearing these inspiring stories on how they're able to do all of that, we'll be able to take little snippets and take lessons that we can apply to make our lives better as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I am a true believer in the power of stories. And I think that there are so many people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. But many times you may not be able to uncover those stories. And I'm passionate about hearing these behind the scenes stories because I feel like it gives us a glimpse into what could lie ahead from us, what we need to do right now, and how many times these amazingly successful people are in essence, people just like you and me. And by getting these stories out there, hopefully it inspires you to change the world in your own way. To show you how passionate I am about the power of stories, personally, I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance. It started off in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, but today we collaborate with not just our Malaysian Ministry of Education, but we also work with over 28 different countries to provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, projects, and so much more to help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them through real world experiences, and start their own careers while they're still in school. That creates meaningful impact, not just for themselves, but for those around them too. And we've been fortunate to work with over 35,000 students in 970 communities so far and have, incubated, and have incubated countless number of student-run projects, social enterprises, and much more run by kids aged 8 to 25. And the reason we were able to do all of this, get youngsters to go out there and change the world, is simply because of kind individuals who spend their time, share their stories, guide us from all walks of life. And just like that, I hope that this platform, this show, Changing Reality, is that same spark for you so that you can hear the things that you need to get started or get moving on your journey towards success. So if you have any questions about what you want to know or if you have any questions for today's sessions or future topics that you want to discuss, do drop it in the show chat below and we'll try to take as many of them as we can. So on to today's speaker, um, which I'm sure is going to blow your mind, simply because um, many of us uh, are huge fans of watching late night shows, we watch TV, but who are the people behind the scenes of all of that? And even more, what are their stories? So today we have with us the Senior Vice President at, of Late Night Programming at West Coast at uh, Viacom CBS. Um, he comes to see if yes, even prior to that as an executive producer, showrunner, and co-creator of the Pete Home Show. And even prior to that, had a 10-year-over career at NBC Entertainment, including working on shows with Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Fallon, Jay Leno, and so many more. Today, he's not only the SVP and recent contributor to The Late Late Show with James Corden, 
but he's also a phenomenal human being with an amazing story, sure to blow your mind. So without further ado, let's welcome to our virtual stage, Nick Bernstein. Hello, how Hi. are you? Uh, I'm doing great. That was uh, that was like the best intro I've ever received. Thank you so much, Harsha. Well, high praise coming from you, and probably this is going to be one of my most nerve-wracking like shows ever, simply because you've seen this like professionally done. So if I get a letter that says you were terrible, here's here's how you can improve, I will still be very fortunate for having you on the show. Uh, don't I, you have nothing to worry about. Promise. All right. Well, thank you. But thank you once again for like joining us. Um, I hope you've been having a good day. I know it's a little late in the evening, so hopefully we didn't disrupt your day too much. You kidding me? It's like you should be in bed on the East Coast by now. We're I'm fine. <laughs> I've had dinner. Our show is finished taping. Well, I'm doing great. All right. Well, thank you so much once again for joining us. And. Personally, you are someone who I think is absolutely phenomenal because not only are you the person behind the scenes of like so many of these amazing late night shows, but you're also recently a contributor or you've been featured a lot on the James Corden show. So congratulations. You're probably the most famous like VP of late night programming out there. I'm not joking. I can't I can't name any other VP of late night programming. So yeah. you win like the, the popularity contest. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, you honestly shouldn't you shouldn't even know my name. I guess it's been a insane uh, six months or so. I know your show is called Changing Reality. That's literally what's happened to me since uh, since I came back to work physically and been working in the building instead of working from home. And uh, and they started putting me on the show on a regular basis. It's been quite a wild ride. Okay. All right. So too late the secrets out there we all know who you are right now but anyway to kind of like <laughs> to kind of like see where you actually started this whole journey have has this always been like the dream for you to i don't know be on the late night show and behind the scenes be able to kind of like no it, it's never no. even crossed your mind no. I, I think i read somewhere that like as a kid you actually were interested in like like this whole entertainment industry even from like a very early age i think you were tracking kind of like your top songs or your top movies at that point of time and you you would stay up on weekends to kind of like see if you got if you managed to kind of like record the MTV list. So where did kind of like this passion for this whole industry begin? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's it is true. Like I uh, I always thought it would be cool to work in entertainment. I never knew growing up all of the possible jobs that were out there in entertainment. But I never harbored any aspirations to to be on camera uh, ever. But as I when, I when I was growing up, you're right. Um, I was always interested in pop culture from a from a really early age. Like once I discovered that there was a a place that uh, literally told you what the biggest songs in the country were in the U.S. Uh, it was on this program called America's Top 40, and uh, for four hours on Sunday mornings, they would play the top 40 songs. And I was mesmerized by this to the point that like I'd wake up every morning on every Sunday morning and I'd write down all of all of those songs and what position they were the previous week and uh, how many weeks the number one song had stayed number one. I had an entire list. I this is I can't believe I'm telling you this. 
So like once a month, I'd write down all 40 songs, but only once a month because I'm a normal human being. But every week, I'd write every down, yeah, yeah, yeah. But every <laughs> week, so like easily a year and a half, I'd write, I wrote down the number one song in the country, in the country. And uh, even on New Year's Eve, they play the top 100 songs of the year. And I get mad at my family when they like would pull me away from the radio to get meals or something because I really wanted to hear <laughs> what the top 100 songs were. And um, I, I, it was only later on that I discovered that there's a magazine called Billboard that actually already does this for you and has the lists already nicely printed out. And so all of this was a complete waste of time. But I still enjoyed well, I'm sure it. it wasn't as good as your list. I'm sure your list still like ranks supreme compared to like Billboard. Well, I mean, I had pretty good penmanship, but uh, but it was um, it was a little humbling to realize I just I didn't have to spend. I could sleep in on Sundays. I could sleep in on Sundays, and I still know all of the songs. Um, that was nice. All and right. then well. and then you know like it was just so different in the. I grew up in the '80s. Um, my, like my formative years were in the 80s and early 90s. And it, there wasn't as much access to all this information as there is now. So it was like we had a style section in my local newspaper. And in that section, once a week, they tell you like the top 25 uh, TV shows and how many people watch those shows. And the same thing, like once a week, they'd have the top 10 movies of the weekend and how much money they made. And I was just always interested in that. And and then that sort of led to me being interested in other people who talked about pop culture. And then I, that's how I discovered Late Night ultimately um, was uh, looking at other places that cared about then goofing on pop culture. And um, and I loved like uh, like so many people, like Saturday Night Live was one of the first shows that, that I really um, paid attention to. And, um, I, you know, in middle school, I didn't necessarily get all the jokes, but I really enjoyed the fact that they were making fun of anyone from people in government to uh, to like people in, in music, in the music industry, and sometimes making fun of people to their face. Uh, uh, you know, someone playing Mick Jagger and making fun of Mick Jagger in person or whoever it happened to be. Um, so all of those, uh, all of those things kind of led to me being interested in, in late night in general, but even then still didn't necessarily think, well, there's a job in there somewhere. Okay. I know lots of middle schoolers who love making fun of people and they, they don't know that there's a job in it either. <laughs> but so, and, and I was quite surprised when you put it that way, I guess there may be some talents for like roasting people out there. I'm sure that can translate to a good career, but like, how did you begin kind of like seeing that this was something that you were passionate about, or this was something that okay, there could be something here in a way. I, I remember like, I like previously you mentioned something like you used to go for summer camps every other um, summer, like growing up and that kind of like help you see that comedy could be a career choice or like something that you could do there. Yeah, there, there were uh, both, um, both in like uh, day camps that I went to and, and sleepaway camps that I, I went to, but especially at the sleepaways, um, there were these opportunities to do sort of like uh, improv games and then eventually like create sketches and um, or skits uh, depending on you know the level of I guess uh, 
uh, skill and or um, uh, commitment to like to jokes as opposed to just being silly. Um, but all of that was really uh, formative in in being able to make people laugh and finding people uh, finding out that what you thought was funny, a lot of other yeah. people might have thought was funny as well. Um, and a lot of that was uh, having a communal experience at a place like summer camp and um, and making jokes that that gang would know because we all know sort of the nuances of the people who run the place or the, the specific counselors. Um, so you could goof on them or just sort of like something that happened over the course of a summer that's new or different uh, or and and being able to do sketches in that environment um, was really exciting. And there wasn't really a place during the year, uh, school year, that offered something similar. So that's where I started to uh, to at least understand that my sense of humor might have uh, gelled with other people um, who I guess were like-minded. Very cool. And do you remember any of the skits that I don't know still stand out to you from summer camp like right now, or have they all been lapsed by later greatnesses that you've come up with? Um well I don't know if I can I don't know if any specific sketch from camp will translate into anything that makes <laughs> sense now, but it made enough of an impact on me that even today, um this, the sleepaway camp that I went to as a camper and I was a counselor at also, uh, I go back now and I help the oldest kids, the teenagers who are 15, uh, put on their own sketch comedy show, which is kind of like Saturday Night Live for camp. Um, I say that, you know, humbly. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it was, I basically like that same idea that I had where it's like, oh, I, I think I have a sense of humor now. And like, I, I, uh, I know what I think is funny. Um, but I don't know any way to channel that and, and hone it. Uh, when I sort of figured out how that worked um, in a professional environment, even on the sidelines and watching it um, more so than participating in it, I knew how I, I thought I knew how I could help kids create that. And it's really fun to watch uh, someone who is, you know, entering uh, their sophomore, junior years, have an idea, be brave enough to pitch that idea out to their friends um and then uh and then we're you know me and, and maybe a small group of other uh campers and counselors are like well that's really funny let's let's try to write that and within a week we've gone from singular idea to full-fledged sketch uh costumes props um and hearing you know 800 maybe a thousand people laughing at this bit that is really exciting and still exciting to me and that's been like the last I think 15 or maybe even longer, 17 years now that, that we've, uh, we've, we've done that show. No, I can imagine. I work with so many like, like kids who I feel would, would probably like would love that kind of opportunity. I think all of them like are constantly coming up with ideas like, can we do this show? Can we try this out? Can we try this out? And I think, as you said, the best feeling is when they actually like have an idea and they see that idea grow into something that's full-fledged, that engages people, that, that kind of like shows them that that talent they have or that one thing that maybe they didn't feel like, like, 
like or maybe that one thing which they felt like oh everyone can make people laugh is actually something unique and special and, and mm -hmm. has value and meaning and i think that that's one of the best feelings to see someone like actually go through for you in a way going back to your story when you were kind of like getting to that stage where you had to begin to start looking at what do you want to do and what do you want to do at college what do you want to do as a career after that how do you begin taking all of these experiences that you've had, that that knowing that you like this field, that those experiences you've had at camp, and translating that into making those decisions? I, I know you studied broadcast journalism, if I'm not mistaken, and um, you started for a while um, in that area. How did you kind of like, what was your frame of mind more likely in that phase where you were making those decisions? Um, well, I guess it kind of started, uh, when when I when I was um, trying to figure out like where to go to school, um, I thought sort of the things I enjoyed were probably too silly to do career wise. Um, but I also like I enjoyed journalism. I knew I liked communications. I liked sports. I liked at least um, I thought broadcasting was something that was uh, uh, a tangible career uh, option. And so I went to a, a school, uh, Syracuse, that um, that had a, um, a pretty well-known communications school. Um, but while I was, while I had started in the journalism on the broadcast uh, path, I recognized pretty early on that I, those weren't the stories that I wanted to tell. Like I liked, um, I liked, uh, I liked fiction more. I liked pop culture more. I liked the sort of concept and the ability to tell a story in a, uh, over a, a longer period of time than what we were learning in broadcast, which were like, I'd tell a story in 60 seconds or 90 seconds, which, you know, looking back now probably helps a lot in like the TikTok universe that we're all in, um, being able to tell a story that fast, but I, that's not what I wanted at that point. Anyway, um, so I shifted to like a television radio film major in which we had an opportunity to do a little bit more of the things that were interesting and uh, to me, uh, which were like coming up with pitches or learning about broadcast in general um, and learning how a TV network uh, decides how to pick shows up and, and uh, how to develop things. Um, and then even as an extracurricular at school, uh, I was really interested in the radio station at the school because um, because they mirrored uh, pop radio stations. Um, so they had a the station in Syracuse was called Z eighty nine, and they were a lot like Z one hundred in New York or Kiss um, or Hits one. Uh, so so that was pretty exciting to to live in that space and and. Um, and be able to talk on on air about whatever the latest things were happening in pop culture was, which if you really want to date me, uh, it was things like Titanic and Leonardo DiCaprio and South Park and Will Smith and um, Puff Daddy at the time and all of the bad boy stuff. Those were all like the things that were very, very hot while uh, I was living in that radio station world. Even after all of that, I still didn't necessarily think, well, this is where a career path might lead. Um, that there are people that work in like programming 
that started in the same places that that I might have or uh, and and you know I was I think trying my hardest to live in the moment in college um, and not think too far ahead uh, about what my job uh, my my job might be um, and so even after like school I just wanted more experiences than I wanted necessarily to make sure I made it to a certain place by a certain year um, or a certain age. So like I even I traveled around the country for for a year also before I um, before I settled in LA, which I knew eventually I wanted to be in LA because uh, I knew I wanted to be involved in television or film. And there was more of that happening in LA than anywhere else in in the country. Um, even though I didn't really know anybody in LA um, and I didn't do a really good job of meeting people before who might be willing to uh, uh, help me get a resume to places. Um, so I, I'm not like uh, the standard bearer for how to, how to get, uh, how to get somewhere. So you travel the country, show up in LA and just like, yes, I'm ready to be part of this industry. That, that, that's the story. <laughs> I, I, uh, um, <laughs> It, it it wasn't uh, it wasn't quite like I'm here. Everyone, come, you know, come and come and hire me. Uh, it was um, I had uh, I had cousins who were my grandparents' age who did live here and let me stay with them for one month, and I had one friend from high school who also lived out here, who. Uh, who was getting uh, out of his lease shortly. So I knew I would at least have a place to live and a person to live with uh, at a certain point. And that was enough for me to start to try and figure out, okay, well, like, how do you become a PA? How do you become, you know, uh, an assistant somewhere? Like, uh, what do you do? Um, and uh, through camp, I actually met um, somebody who uh, who also had gone to Syracuse and also had been a counselor, but about 10 to 15 years before I had. Um, and they were working at NBC and they were in, they were an executive at NBC. And, um, and I was put in touch with uh, him. His name is Rob. Uh, and he, uh, he was the one who helped me get my resume to the page program at NBC. And that was, uh, and then fortunately I, I was able to get into the page program and that was my first job. And that happened pretty quickly after I was out here, which I knew at the time I was fortunate to like be able to get a job that quickly, uh, like within a month. Um, but now I'm like, that was the luckiest thing that happened to me, like bar none. Um, it was such a stroke of luck. What do you think, like, I, I'm a huge like fan of luck, but I'm also a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to luck. I'm sure that there was something that you would have done, like, to make that luck work in a way. So, like, like what do you think it was about you traveling across the country, moving there for with only a month to stay with, like, your family, and then getting a job, like, like that would kind of, like, set the stepping stones for your career? How do you think, like, what do you think was about, like, were the characters that you had? that enabled you to kind of like navigate the situation? Was it just fate? Was it 
like did you were you like that impressive during the interview that they were like yes we must hire him like like whatever is available please get him in here like like what do you think you did differently than anyone else who's planning to move out and and try things like in LA just from wherever they can um yeah it's it's a good question i i don't i don't 100% know i think i had a fairly interesting story I think that I had a bit of a unique story compared to others. Um, so I like I didn't look like I do now. I was a, I had short hair and I was like a little more buttoned up. Um, this is fairly new, this whole thing. Um, but I uh, I think I had um, I was I was pretty good at like telling my story. And one of the things that you need to do as a page or you needed to at the time was um, you had to give tours. Uh, so I think they were looking for people who weren't like uh, too much of an actor uh, um, that were you know, like trying too hard to jump straight from like being a tour person to working on a soap opera. Um, I wasn't that, um, but I could, you know, talk in full sentences and uh, I, um, I smiled and I had an interesting, I, I, I had this interesting last year and I came from a school that um, that a lot of people had uh, success in, in, the, in the industry, I think from. And so I think all of that really helped me. And I mean, even leaving my interview, I wasn't like, oh, I got this, this is in the bag. We were like, they did this interview. I thought they were basically doing it as a favor to Rob. Um, they told me at the end of the interview, like, we'll check back in six to eight weeks and we'll see if we have an, uh, anything available because the page program was this rotating uh, program where you'd only do it for 12 months, but everyone starts at different times. So someone's 12 months is up every month, basically. Then they have to determine how many new positions there are. Um, and they fill them as in on, on an as needed basis. And I was like, all right, well, now I have to find something else. Like maybe there's, maybe you've heard it, like UTA does a job list um, that like everybody applies for the jobs on there. And there were similar things like that uh, when I was here starting out. Um, but by the time I drove back home, there was a message on my answering machine. We had answering machines then. Um, and, uh, and that's how I found out that I got the job and I could start the next week. And, and that was great because my entire friend base came from this page program. Um, I met my wife uh, through the page program and I started basically uh, uh, the beginnings of my career at NBC uh, in Burbank uh, on account of the program. So I, I, it's not, it is a fairly, it's not how everything happens here. Like most people get, most people go job to job to job for a little while before they, they find something. and um, and I was really fortunate to have things sort of um, just bide my time a little bit and be patient and um, and wait for opportunities and and uh, and it really came through that way. That must have been a really crazy twelve months for you then. I mean, you said it was twelve months, so uh -huh. but how how was it like like 
like ex like I think all of us before we start somewhere we've got this grand expectation of how it's going to be and then when we start there sometimes the expectation is exceeded or maybe it's not exactly the same for you how is it like stepping into that page programming uh, that like in the in NBC huge company amazing place and all of that and having this 12 months to kind of like try things out like find a space for you in it and kind of like prove yourself while managing those tasks that they probably were giving you at the same time how like tell us a bit about your time then well i think for almost anybody in the 90s probably the 80s and the 90s um like everyone has really strong feelings about um programming on nbc whether it was Family Ties, Cosby Show, Cheers, all the way through, Seinfeld, Friends, Frasier, Will and Grace. Like there was this massive group of comedies uh, and dramas, but those Thursday comedies, um, and also, and even like Ellie Law and ER, like we revered these shows. And I mean, I spent, honestly, like I was one of those, don't talk to me between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. on Thursday <laughs> night, because I got to watch my stories. And, um, and I, uh, and so, yeah, there was like NBC felt like it had this like halo around it. It was like this place that everybody uh, who worked there was really proud to work there. Um, and that was, you know, and then in addition to, to that, like when, as a page, we also got to work, uh, the audiences for the tonight show which is you know the one of the most important franchises in television history and we just we just got to watch it every day um it was kind of amazing um and and it was i think i think it took a little bit of time um to let that wash over you. And um, and for some people, like any job, it can, it can become mundane. So, you know, three months or four months into a job, uh, there were certainly like friends and colleagues of mine who were like, oh, I gotta give tours again. And then I gotta go work, I gotta go work that show again, like deal with the audience. And I, I don't wanna do that. And, you know, it's still like, they call it guest relations and that is still you're still working with people and people who are in town uh maybe they love the show maybe they just wanted to get out of the heat maybe they were just you know tourists and stumbled onto this uh you never know why people came so their interest level varies and that's a little bit hard um but i always kind of felt like uh, you have a real opportunity at uh, as a page at NBC at the time. It's a little bit different of a program now, but like you got to, you it was almost like a grad school. So you got to see all these different departments and uh, meet all these different people who work jobs that you can figure out if they are of interest to you and something you want to try to do, or also just as helpful learn, I don't want to do that job. That seemed interesting from afar. But now talking to a couple of people who work there, that might not be the thing that I want to do. Um, all of that is incredibly valuable. Um, and on top of that, they also gave you opportunities to do um, assignments, which are like internships, where you spend most of your day, most of your week, 
in a certain department, learning how to be an assistant. Um, and if you're lucky, maybe an assistant job opens up in that department um, and you get to work there and work your way up from there. Um, and I think also like the, the group that I was with, the, the let's say like 45 or so people that I spent a lot of time with over that year, that was a pretty supportive group. We didn't all, we weren't all aiming for the same jobs all the time. Um, some of us did, but we had varied interests. So some people wanted to, some people were more interested in trying to work for something like Access Hollywood or Entertainment Tonight. Uh, some people wanted to work at the at KNBC, the local NBC affiliate in LA. Um, some people were more interested in writing. Uh, some really wanted to be execs. It went all over. It was sort of ran the gamut. And my thing was, I just want to, I just want to work on something uh, that I enjoy. Like I, 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 I don't know uh, what that is necessarily yet. And, um, and I got really lucky uh, in that a job opened up in the late night department. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't really know what the late night department did uh, at NBC. Um, and then I, uh, I was able to work as a temp for one week when the assistant in late night was out. Um, and I met the executive in charge. His name was Rick Bloodwin. He passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but um, but he was like the main late night guy at NBC and he'd been there for 20 years when I'd started. Um, so he knew everything about late night. He worked with every single host who'd ever hosted The Tonight Show. Um, he would have lunch with Johnny Carson uh, after Johnny had retired. Um, every day he watched Leno uh and conan he watched Saturday Night live uh every week he talked to all the people that were involved in all these shows um and he also happened to be the guy who brought seinfeld to nbc and i was like huh, well i think this guy has the dream job like there's th these are all the things that you would want to be involved in if you were working in television and you like comedy um and uh, his assistant ended up moving uh, to Hawaii. And uh, before she left, she was like, you should apply to, uh, to, to be Rick's new assistant. He liked you when you worked there for the week. Um, and I had to think about it for a minute because uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to work in an office or if I wanted to work on a production, um, which, uh, I was silly to think I even had those options necessarily. I just, um, uh, but it didn't take me long once I was in the office to recognize like, well, I'm going to learn a lot here. So I should stay here as long as I can. And, um, and even from like the first week I was there, um, people like Norm MacDonald was swung by the office just to say hi. He was there to pitch a show and he just popped in and I was like, oh, you know, comedy legend, Norm MacDonald here. Uh, and then um, Robert Smigel called up, <coughs> excuse me, Robert Smigel called one day and, uh, and one of those first days and I was like, oh, the voice of Triumph, the insult comic dog and one of the uh, most prolific sketch writers in the history of television is just calling to say hello to my boss. I think uh, I think I'm going to 
really enjoy working this desk. Um, and and it would just sort of like cascaded from there with all of the opportunities that that were afforded at this place, um, which was not necessarily known as a desk, uh, the late night office, um, the late night assistant desk, uh, as a place where you necessarily grew from there. There are some places where, um, you know, the expectation when you're an assistant is you start off and then ultimately you're going to get promoted and uh, move up the, the ladder, um, whether you're at an agent's uh, and working at an agency or a management company or uh, or any of these studios. Um, but that that wasn't necessarily um, the the verbatim at in, in late night because um, because most of the people I think who'd worked there in that position before uh, were were professional assistants who um, who weren't looking necessarily to uh, advance in the executive ranks. Um, so, but so nobody knew that Rick wanted and enjoyed mentoring people and and uh, and looked forward to that as a as a thing. Um, and I I get just got to be the benefit share of of uh, of his uh, twenty plus years of of knowledge and expertise. Absolutely phenomenal. And I think it was Jack Ma who said, pick your first boss carefully and, and pick your boss over any company or anything else, because they're the ones who's going to really like make or break your career in a way. I'm paraphrasing. I think he said it better. But um, for no. you, in a sense, having this amazing person to mentor you, to guide you, and I think that kickstarted your 10-year career at, at NBC at that point of time. What, how is it like going in day in, day out, again, among legends, as you mentioned, and really like establishing yourself in this um, in this field. I think we spoke earlier, like previously, and you said, and you mentioned that late night is something where people go in for seasons after seasons and everyone there like like knows each other. It's it's a community of people who uh, have worked with each other. And you as someone new who was aiming to progress in this map, what do you like? What were some of the experiences that really shaped you and enabled you to actually grow to the where to where you are today? Um, I mean, it's it's true. Like the the people people who worked on the shows. I don't know. I th I think you have to sort of remember, um, especially for shows like The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Uh, these are shows that had some some really intense beginnings to their lives. Uh, whether it was because you know Jay following Johnny Carson, Conan following David Letterman, legends in the field uh, who had passionate fan bases. I'm sure this sounds familiar to anyone who's on Twitter and sees uh, a lot of shade being thrown. This happened. Uh, just without the internet in these eras to these new hosts coming in to find their uh, voices and figure out how they wanted to shape their shows. And so um, if you were there from day one and a supportive, they trusted you. And if you were new, it just took a little longer to uh, to gain their trust and to know that like, 
you you were invested in their success and you cared about their shows and you were aware of what they were doing on a nightly basis, which um, which was really important to them, important to Rick and and, and important to me too. Um, uh, so I was like the new guy for years. Um, and then ultimately they have, people got used to me um, and seemingly like I walked everywhere with Rick. And so like, they just see us together going from like place to place. And we were just like a, a duo uh, for, for a, a lot of people. And, um, and I don't know, I think it helped a lot to know, uh, to see like, like anything, like any relationship, uh, you have to work at it and you have to foster it and um, and be patient with it and 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 that can really pay off um, in 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 whatever difficult days might lie ahead that you don't know about and aren't expecting, um, which you know uh, you didn't you, you wouldn't necessarily even see coming because I. I I started at NBC at a point where um, these shows were all, they'd been through their uh, their tumult um, early on and they were successful for years and years while I came in. And then I just watched them continue to be successful um, until, uh, and then ultimately like uh, decisions were made to, um, to evolve the shows to the next generation of hosts. Um, and so I got to be involved at that point, I'd been around for a while. Um, so, you know, seven or eight years in, um, when, when they were, uh, when they announced that Conan was going to take over the tonight show and, um, that Jimmy Fallon was going to take over late night. I got to, I knew the landscape well enough to, um, to have an idea of the types of people behind the scenes who might make sense for for these new shows, um, whether that was possible writers, possible segment producers, possible editors, directors, you, you know, uh, uh, the all the people that make up shows. Not that they're going to take everybody who I thought might work, but um, but I was. Uh, they were kind enough, and I tried to be thoughtful enough to uh, to not just send them everyone, but send them sort of a curated lists of people that I thought um, they might respond well to. Um, and there was less sort of turnover on the Conan Tonight Show or even Jay Leno had a 10 o'clock primetime show. Um, but, but as they were making changes in those places, you know, ultimately like the producers uh, and, and hosts, at least were curious enough and uh, wanted to know my opinion, um, which I really, I really appreciated and, and respected. Um, uh, and I think um, that's also like a pretty cool confidence boost also um, to be able to have those types of high level conversations with, with them. And also with like our bosses at the network as well, who, um, I think we're curious to, to hear the perspective of uh, people from two different generations 
who both really liked and knew about late night and comedy. Um, so that was really helpful, I think, uh, for me to sort of uh, know how to act in those rooms. Um, I wasn't the commanding voice, but I was a voice and I had to be able to like speak up and be um, uh, both positive, but um, confident in uh, what I was saying and choose my words wisely also. What do you think in your journey so far has been one lesson that you remember until today and that shapes the way you look at things? Or one takeaway that you, you'd never forget in a way? Um, I think a lot now about um, the last sort of year and a half, honestly, as much as anything else. Um, especially when it comes to the Corden show, which I can't believe I haven't really talked about yet. They're gonna, if they watch this, they're gonna be so mad that it took 40 minutes for me to talk about the Late Late Show. Um, but um, the, one of the things I love most about Late Night and I think is important as like a life lesson is uh, like these shows have to be malleable. Um, they, uh, they are evolving based on whatever's happening in personal lives uh, as you grow and age and mature and also reflecting and reacting to whatever's happening in the world. And so, um, so, you know, like James has gone through, James Gordon has gone through, it feels like four different iterations of his show over the last two years, which is mind blowing because it's so hard to change these shows sometimes and it, you can be like, you're bumping up against people who are creatures of habit and, they, um, and you can't force change. Like change has to happen naturally. Um, and people have to be receptive to adapting. Um, and I think everybody had, you know, everybody in this genre has this uh, during the pandemic, um, which, you know, congratulations to all of us. A lot of people have had much harder jobs, but, um, but, but we've had to, um, figure out how to make a show amidst some very challenging circumstances. Um, and, and I think it's really important to know, like you, uh, the ability to change can be a really good thing. And, uh, and it doesn't necessarily, uh, like, how you change and how good you are um, after you've made that change isn't always reflected on the you know day one or day three or day five. Like sometimes it takes a little while for that to happen, but um, that trust in yourself is really important in order to get to the place that ultimately like feels good. And and when you can, one of my favorite things in my job and uh, in in this job as an executive is being close enough to a show um, that you hope that the people who work on the show um, trust you and trust your um, trust that you have their best interests at heart and um, and you have a sensibility that um, that has like a fairly large concentric circle with theirs, but you're removed enough from the uh, from the content and the um, uh, and maybe the scripts or the the sketches that uh, you might 
come at it from a slightly different perspective or you're not uh, you're not so close to it that you can't um, have a slightly different opinion than than the others um, and look it doesn't happen all the time but um, but it happens sometimes and all, all I can ask in those situations is that uh, that you're able to have that conversation that you're able to um, be thoughtful and consider uh, is it worth making that change and if the answer is yes great and if the answer is no we really like it as it is that's also okay uh, and that shouldn't like hurt my feelings and it shouldn't hurt my ego um, because uh, because the conversation is the process and uh, and in our type of uh, genre, we have to make a new show every day, basically, or four times a week. A lot of shows, and just so, four times. Yeah, uh, which you know, and we have a lot of weeks off. Um, we have a very good schedule of the show, um, but the uh, but the overall idea is, um, which seems a little crazy now, is like these shows have to continue to evolve. Um, it's the only way they. Um, they can work for as long as they do is um, they don't stay stagnant. They, they continue to try new things. And um, it sounds silly in a world where uh, time sometimes is irrelevant because people can watch anything they want, anytime they want. But, uh, but as a subgenre, the 1230 shows in late night are the ones that should be able to try even more stuff than the 1130 shows. And so I always find the sort of like uh, the Wild West aspect of, of late night in that 1230 space to be some of the most fun things you can do. Or in the like Saturday Night Live case, the like the last half hour of the show is where some of the truly weird sketches happen. And, um, and that to me is really exciting. Um, so, uh, so in even in this world now where uh where you know we only have 50 people in an audience at the late late show uh and everybody uh everybody in the front of the studio is basically people who work on the staff um or work with the show and every and you never know who could be on camera like like that you is, me yeah uh that's that to me feels like a little more dangerous which I find as a viewer exciting, which is why I've at least like leaned into this part for myself. Um, nothing that I ever really wanted uh, and had no desire to necessarily uh, ever be anywhere out other than like the control room, which was a fun place to be and hang out and talk to the director and the producers and uh, you know anybody who's, uh, whoever else is in there. Um, but that, like, that feeling as a viewer you get when you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. They're all like, they're all snapping right now for no reason. Or am I supposed to know what's going on? Or like, what is Reggie saying at the beginning of the show? Like, I don't even catch it until afterwards sometimes. And, and those things are like these little Easter eggs almost that are so fun to watch on these shows. And then like the builds that happen over the course of weeks or months uh, where inside jokes become like 
jokes that fans know, uh, fans of the show know, whether it's, you know, like people say, I'm sure like people say fins up and do this to beat the camera guy all the time. We're like to the point where we had a, we had a bit that we did with Starbucks, um, uh, that was a sponsored piece of comedy where Pete got to do the fins up thing that Starbucks paid for basically. Uh, like that to me is an unbelievable uh, circle of late night life for something like that to uh, to go from just like an inside joke to something Sponsored content by Starbucks, yeah. Wild, it's wild. And I think like as an audience, it, it's been like a very crazy viewing experience as well. I mean, like a year ago, everyone was taping late night shows from their houses, which was kind of vindictive. I felt like, oh, I'm at home watching this. It's only fair you're at home recording this. And then yeah. now, like, like, I don't know, I just felt kind of good. But like now that everything is slowly returning, hopefully to normal in a way, and, and you are in, like, as you mentioned, there's so much change, there's the new setup. How do you think for you, um, I think, as you mentioned, this six months has been a reality-changing period for yourself, at the very least. How have you kind of like um, come to this new role of being both behind the scenes and in front of the camera the first time, uh, like, and actually getting to know the audience, uh, getting the audience to become your fans in a way? I, you even had one of the celebrity reading comments, like, like videos. I saw that. I was like, oh my god, that's the like, that's how you know you're a true celebrity. You get like a segment reading your fan comments. So how is like no I'm serious that's the key of success but like how is like 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 how have you had to kind of like process all of this and how do you view like this new role that you've had again I don't think it's something that most VPs have it's amazing that that the show actually like brought in this element of like introducing us to the people behind the scenes how is how do you think it's changed for you and for the people around you on set as well to now be part of the show like or at least be part of what the viewers see on the show uh so it is uh i i feel it <laughs> two ways about it um i think none of this is real it is all <laughs> make-believe uh it is ultimately almost everybody who's in that room has worked on the show for years and so it's just a bunch of friends hanging out together in a room then it happens to be recorded and our other friends edit just the best parts in there and so we're all even when they make fun of me and i get you know raked over the coals a little bit um it is the best version of the show uh and i i'm okay with that um and it goes out in the universe and sometimes people comment on it online but again all of that is uh feels like pretend um i don't mind any of that i think it's really flattering also and it's really fun to think about if i was in high school or college uh and I turned on a show and saw how much fun they were having with their staff, with their producers, with their executives. And they were all okay with this sort of like real stuff happening and very in the moment uh, comments. Um, 
from a bunch of people who are really funny, uh, or or at the very least can take a joke. Um, I um, I would I would have loved that. I would have been so excited about that, and uh, that is part of the like DNA of late night. Um, and so I feel very privileged and proud to like be continuing on in that type of tradition uh, with no expectation that it will last for any amount of time. If the studio went back tomorrow to uh, having a full audience on the, on the floor and all the people who work on the show went back to the places where we used to watch the show, that is fine. Uh, this has been a really fun uh, moment in time, and I'm happy to go back uh, whenever they decide, like, all right, pack it off and, and head on out. Because this is nothing that is more than just like a nice little bonus uh, that has happened where I've gotten to do like so many cool things um, that I never expected to. Like, I really like horse racing. That's a real thing that I like, and they've sort of um, exploited it on the show they made me sit on a fake plastic horse dressed as a jockey um i say they made me and they said they don't think of it that way they asked <laughs> me if i would and i said yes so i accepted their invitation to dress up as a jockey and sit on a plastic horse um but out of that absolutely insane moment um I was invited by a, a racetrack to go and spend a day there and they treated me and my late late show friends and family uh, to this like incredible day where we got all this access to things that I never expected. And they also named a race after me and, um, and, uh, and we all had a, like this wonderful time. And so um, that none of that would have happened without this. Uh, and so I'm trying to just sort of, I, I can, I feel like I can take it in stride because it's all like silly and pretend and it's like us, uh, they like to make fun of my, uh, the, like <laughs> the big head that I've gotten now that, uh, because there's like a photo of me on the wall in the hallway now. Yeah, uh, I heard you were subjected to a like truth and a lie detector test to uh, see if you were the one who hung it up. Yeah, yeah, they put me on a lie detector test, which I did not, I swear to God, swear to everybody, I never put that photo up. I didn't know when it was going up. It's still there. And I don't know when it will be taken down, but I feel like none of it was my doing. And so I don't really control what happens to it going forward. But I did find out they also put a, that same photo up on the hallway of uh my boss who's like the president of entertainment so every day he goes into work he has to pass that same photo and that makes me laugh a lot because it's like i don't know the cast of swat and madam secretary and then <laughs> me on a plastic purse um i yeah i i've enjoyed that uh that is an idea and then you know like so uh, a little while ago, like during Thanksgiving or the week before Thanksgiving, uh, I went home uh, to visit my folks 
and I missed a couple of days of the show, except I, I should say I missed a couple of days of the show in the studio. Um, and James called me out about it and they found me on Zoom as I was watching the show from my parents' house on Zoom and then ended up being in the show anyway uh, when they turned my Zoom camera on. And, uh, but they, I guess, uh, fans of the Late Late Show got to meet my entire family basically and talk to my dad on Zoom. Uh, at least James talked to my dad and I know people commented about him as they commented to me about him. Um, and I don't know, like that would not, that I didn't expect that even, you know, this recently, that is now my life, which is really strange. Um, that like even my Thanksgiving week, uh, which is late show material. Yeah. Like it just again, it just shows how popular you've become among the fans and all. And I, I'm gonna be honest, as I mentioned, like way at the beginning of this of this interview, it's like not many VPs are well known for this. Not many people in your role are known for this. I think one of or, or and I think one of the things I love about the show right now is that it's so human. It, it shows like like you and the other people on set. And what and kind of like as we wind down this conversation, what do you think is like? the importance of being so present in the show or what what do you think is the value of being so present and not just on screen but in the lives of those people around you interacting with the audience and being willing to take a joke being willing to you know like like engage in it because i know many other people probably in your position even if they don't work in late night and they work in an office somewhere don't have that level of interaction and camaraderie and willingness to kind of like like be one with their team in a sense so how is like that element of, of, of kind of like being part of it or being part of like this whole late night family, like why is that important in the first place? Um, well, I think there's two things. Um, when I started at CBS, uh, I, um, I asked for my office to be, if I could have my office located in the same, uh, on the same lot as, as the show. Um, which is a different lot than the rest of the executives that work for the studio or for the network. Um, they have a different campus about 20 minutes away from where we are. Um, so, you know, going back to like what I learned from Rick, proximity helps, closeness helps, knowing who wrote what, who produced what, who edited what, being able to walk into someone's office and really have like, uh really know them and and um and have had years worth of relationships with them i think is really important um you know that is uh trust building and uh building trust among the people who who work on the shows uh i i i put that type of value over almost everything that i do work-wise um but that also translates to what's happened now on camera a little bit is we've got this whole group of people that um, I think really trust each other. So, you know, whether I'm in it or just watching and enjoying while other people are in the middle of something, um, that's all real. And I think um, 
honesty is one of the things that comes across uh, in a really, really positive and strong way in comedy settings, especially. Um, and uh, and you can really sense that. That's, uh, you know, some people in like, in scripted, they call it chemistry. Um, but that chemistry also, I think, is reflected in, in late night, um, certainly on the Late Late Show. Um, I don't think we'd be able to goof the way that we do and just be uh, open enough to say some of the things that we say um, unless we we all trusted each other. And um, you can't just put anybody into that situation and hope that it works. Um, if we had tried that on day one, I don't think it would have worked. Um, but you're talking to a group of people who are now, you know, a thousand shows into this. Um, and I think that that's, um, I think there's just so much value to something like that. Um, we're just like, uh, we're, we're either, we might be firing on all cylinders and that's really exciting. And then sometimes we're not, but we acknowledge it. And that's also really funny. And so I, I don't know, I just, there's a lot to mine from, from the sort of like really natural situations like that, that we, um, that we foster and that really like, I say we, but like, <laughs> it's really, it's James and Ben and Rob and Lauren and Ian and Dave and Cece and like Nate, like this, you know, and the band, um, all the way to like all the camera ops, um, and the audio folks, like there's literally like, you probably, if you watch the show, you know, so many people who work on the show now. And that is, uh, it's incredible. It's really incredible. I, I, uh, I feel very proud to, to be a part of, of this group. It's, um, of all of the things I've done. Uh, and I'm like, uh, I look back and I honestly can't believe like I I've worked with lots of heroes of, of mine um in comedy but like i've never done anything or worked with people like like the late late show with james gordon group it's it's uh it's something that i know like will be treasured for me for for however long i, I work in the industry that's absolutely amazing and i guess i'm i actually did not realize the time and i'm and you have just been so amazing to talk to that i feel like there's so many questions that not only i but our whole audience would want to know about your journey building this building this team this amazing people behind the scenes and also in front of the camera your experiences on the late uh, on the late late show but i just i guess i have to end with this one question which is this is something that you've done as you said after thousands of episodes after many hours and i'm sure lots of blood sweat and tears of working with these people throughout a pandemic even before that and now coming in strong, as you said, it wouldn't have worked if it's on day one, because it takes time to build that relationship, that honesty, that chemistry, that trust. But for all of those people starting out right now, maybe watching the show, who, who are fans of yours on the James Gordon show, and they see and like the whole team, and they'd be like, that's what I want to do. That's where I want to be one day. I mean, even if it's not in front of camera, but I want to be part of this team, this camaraderie in a sense. What's your advice to them, for all of those viewers back at home? Where do they even start? How do they even go fostering these kind of relationships? Well, um, I think it's a little bit, 
it, it's going to be tricky during a pandemic. And I know that um, I think we're slowly getting out of it. I, like I have not gone to see live shows yet. I haven't gone to see a live comedy show. I used to go pretty regularly. I have kids now, so it's a little harder to get out regularly. But I used to tell people all the time, find find those like-minded people. Like there aren't a lot of excuses now to not find people that you, that of your age, that you connect with. Um, and so I said like, I don't think it would work day one to do the thing that we're doing now. But if I was starting out, when you're starting to build a show, you are still trying to find those people that you have that chemistry with. And um, uh, I think about like, there's a new group on Center Night Live right now. Um, they're called Please Don't Destroy. And uh, it's three guys who, uh, who they just it seemed like they came out of nowhere. And now they're making short films on SNL. And it's just over, you know, it's the last, since September, October. Um, but the three guys who I'm sure have been like worked at UCB theater in New York and they knew each other. And I know that they were making videos on YouTube for several years, sort of figuring out and honing their craft before they hopped onto SNL and are doing like these really, really funny, um, both like, small and somehow large feeling uh, short films. And they've got the sensibility that just clicks. And like uh, from day one, had you not known them? Like I was so excited when I watched the first video and I did not know them. Um, and I was like, well, they have it. Like you could just feel the way they talk to each other and the jokes that they make. Um, you have to discover your own sort of small group and you can hope that it expands beyond there, but like, um, but they exist and they're out there and like, um, you know, whether it's at your school or in your city, or you have to move to a new city that has like that comedy sensibility, you know, and there's a bunch out there, but like New York, obviously, but Chicago's really good and Portland's really good and Austin's got a really good scene and Atlanta's got a good scene. Like there are places out there where you find your people and you just start, you can't help it. Like the, the ideas just pop out and you want to make them and you know someone who has a camera and there's like no excuse not to do things now. So you have to be willing to sort of take that first step. Um, and, and I think that for a lot of people, like that is how they find out and how to get even better at the thing that they're pretty good at but they might be a little bit uh, shy about sort of getting out there. And um, I don't know, I'm always encouraging it. Parents don't like it when I say this, but I, like, I do encourage people when they have uh, either that comedic sensibility or um, a bit of that artistic sensibility, like I don't think you will ever regret going for it whether it happens or not, you will always be thankful that you try to do something that uh, that spoke to that sort of artistic side of, uh, of you. And, um, and I think it is also easier now to figure out who it is that you like and, um, and where they're at. And uh, you just have to have enough confidence to be like, hey, that was funny. You want to go grab a coffee? <laughs> or whatever people do now. Um, and 
uh, and maybe like figure out how to write sketches together or, or write jokes together and uh, perform. And and because I, you know, again, like I did not coming from a performing background and I'm not a performer and won't be one. Um, but uh, but I still get really excited when I find those people who like and, and do it. And so um, so like I just think that it's a really good uh, it's just really good for your soul, I think, to go out there and do the thing that makes you happy. I think that's a beautiful like message to end on. And thank you so much for, for like this whole interview, for the whole like journey that you shared with us. I definitely learned a lot. And I've got a few mental slaps on things that I've got to do after this to, you know, <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. There's a few things that I've like taken note of that I'm lacking and that I need to go and like fix based on your story. So thank you for inspiring me, inspiring our audience and sharing your story with us here today. It's, it's really been an honor to have you on our show. Oh, uh, thank you for asking me. And I, I, I really enjoyed getting a chance to once again, talk about myself and uh, talk with you. And I hope uh, they don't make too much fun of me on the Late Late Show for this. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll send them here and I'll make fun of them for you like as revenge. <laughs> But okay, right. don't tell them I said that. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. And to our audience, I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. And um, don't forget to watch The Late Late Show with James Corton because, like, yeah, if you want to see more Nick, that's where he is. Go watch that. And make sure you tune back in again next Thursday evening here on Changing Reality. So until then, we'll see you guys. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.